Jean-Paul Sartre's Nausea. I'm going to botch all these French names, so if you're French or you're fluent in French, please leave your temper at the door. It's just not going to happen, but I'm calling him Sartre. And before I get into Sartre uh, and his novel, Nausea, I want to preface it by saying that I wanted to do this episode on Albert Camus' The Stranger, which I'd read before, and I loved it. I thought it was mind-blowing and awesome. And then I read it, like, last week, and it was boring. And I didn't like it, thought everything about it was boring, and I was in no way inspired to do a podcast episode um, about The Stranger. So instead, I'm doing Nausea, which is way better. Um, And this is not a plot-heavy book, so if you're expecting an epic tale with twists and turns and mysteries at every door, shocking revelations, uh, you're going to be disappointed. This is largely a book for and about contemplation. It's a very cerebral book, in other words. And I wanted to do part two of this podcast. I wanted part two to be all existentialist books, which this novel would have fit perfectly in part two, but I read it this week, Sartre's French, and I'm pretty pumped up about it, so I'm going to put it in part one. And I'll probably do another one of his books in part two. If you're still reading by then, then you'll care. Um, and if you're if you're not familiar with existentialism, uh, it sounds a lot more complicated than it actually is. Uh, basically, the founding principle is existence precedes essence, which I'm pretty sure is a quote by Sartre himself. Um, in other words, you're born with no essence. And then through your own free will and autonomous decisions, you forge your own essence or human nature, and ultimately you make your own purpose in life. Um, This probably doesn't sound new because existentialism existentialism has found its way into most mainstream Western literature and media at large, Um, and Sartre is a founding father of existentialism, if not the founding father, and nausea is like existentialist scripture. Um... But if that sounds obvious to you, before existentialism, you basically had since the time of the Greek philosophers, uh, essentialism, which is that you're born with an essence uh, and with a divine purpose of some sort, and uh, you achieve your greatest self by living up to this essence or the human nature. Um, So existentialism is kind of the flip side of that coin, as existence precedes nature. And do I consider myself an existentialist? Not really. Um, But I think it is important to constantly challenge myself and my beliefs, and that's why I love this book. Um, The plot is about this guy. He's a former world traveler. Uh, He went to, like, Asia, um, and his name is Antoine Roquentin. Um, More specifically, it's about his mental life and his inner musings and the unfurling of his psychology and philosophy as he experiences... A series of existential crises and the book is written in the form of a diary so it's he has like days that he logs the times that he writes so when you're reading it it seems like you're reading an actual diary from this fictional character Rokenton um, and it starts almost right away with him documenting this strange sensation he gets while he holds this little stone um, and he suddenly f- like has this fear and he can't like identify this stone he can't conceptualize it um and he he quickly writes it off it's like some passing fleeting feeling 
but that's why he started writing the diary. He said, like, I'm writing this diary because of something that happened. And, uh, you know, if it goes away, I'll quit writing the diary and then I'll be done. And then his very next entry, he's like, oh, it was just some fleeting thing, so I probably won't write anymore. Not long after that entry, he realizes something is wrong. And he writes, things are bad. Things are very bad. I have it. The filth. The nausea. And later on that same page, he says, The nausea seized. I dropped to a seat. I no longer knew where I was. I saw the color spin slowly around me. I wanted to vomit. And since that time, the nausea has not left me. It holds me. So this is when my ears perked up, this idea of the nausea. And he never explicitly defines the nausea, but the rest of the book is essentially dedicated to explaining the metaphysics of the nausea. Which, by the way, he capitalizes nausea with an N, so you get the sense of this greater idea of the nausea. Um, and he has this really important descriptor early on where he says, nothing has changed, and yet everything is different. Um, and I find this pretty easy to relate to. Anyone who has had uh, experience at existential crisis can relate to this. Nothing has changed, and everything is different. Um, and for Roquentin... His surroundings and his entire reality really have become completely foreign to him. There's a scene where he's at a bar and the, the bartender's wearing these purple suspenders and Rokentin is totally transfixed by them. All of a sudden he's annoyed by them and they disgust him. And there's something as innocuous as this guy's purple suspenders. There's like a whole page of him writing about this suspenders. Um, but the book is full of this existentialist commentary on things seen anew. Um, there's a scene where... Rokenton is walking around town, and all the people and all the social interactions have this new meaning, um, or rather, they're stripped of their previous meaning. And in a sense, they have no meaning. Um, and he can't make sense of anything, even the most familiar things to him, his neighbors, um, picking papers up off the ground, and he suddenly has this fear where he can't touch papers that are on the ground. And this is where the existentialism kicks in. Um, to Rokentin, everything exists independently and things have no essence. People just assign labels and names and characteristics and ultimately purposes to things. Uh, but to him, things just simply exist. And we only ascribe things' essences as a comforting facade. It's like a distraction from, I don't know, the nakedness of, of existing. Uh, and when I read this, in my opinion, it kind of made sense. It's like this is a strategy for us to elevate ourselves to some sense of superiority around the world around us. It's just like a survival instinct. And if things just are, and you're just a thing with no more or less a purpose than a field mouse, uh, it seems degrading, and your world is denuded, and it's like, why go on? And I think Roe Kenton is beginning to internalize uh, this philosophy. Um, or actually, he's not really internalizing it slowly. It's not really a slow process for him. It happens more or less instantaneously. And there's a really important quote um, summarizing his experience with the nausea. He says, Existence is not something which allows itself to be thought of from a distance. It has to invade you suddenly, pounce upon you, weigh heavily on your heart like a huge motionless animal, or else there's nothing left at all. I thought that was a cool quote because it helps the reader kind of visualize what he's going through rather than him just describing it uh, from a distance, like you said. Um, it has to pounce upon you and weigh heavily on your heart like a huge emotionless animal. 
we get the sense of this direct experience, which for Rokenton is deeply personal. Uh, it's not like he's sitting around conceptualizing nausea uh, through intellectual rigor, nose deep in scholarly tomes and philosophical whatever texts. Uh, it's something that's happening to him personally uh, and almost immediately, which is kind of scary and kind of depressing to think that that's even a possibility. And online I read a lot of people said they didn't finish the book because it's way too depressing and it made them feel melancholic. And uh, I don't blame them, really. There's this other quote once Rokenton has internalized uh, what's going on, and he says, now, now when I say I, it seems hollow to me. I can no longer manage to feel myself. I am so forgotten. The only real thing left in me is some existence which can feel itself existing. The only thing left in me is some existence which can feel itself existing. Kind of a profound uh, sentence. And I think it's an all too pervasive feeling of losing the sense of self. His, you can see and feel his ego is slipping. And when we talk about ego, it has this negative connotation because of the inflated ego. But most people need an identity and that's, you know, their ego are attached to their identity. And to say, I am so forgotten, I can no longer manage to feel myself. We can, as readers, we can feel this detachment. I mean, it's kind of a moving passage. Um, and if the readers associate with that on a deep level, I don't blame them for not finishing this book, to be honest with you. Um, but I mentioned earlier that Rokenton is a writer, and he's writing this biography on this French aristocrat and some diplomat of some sort, Robillon. And this is the meaning that Rokenton has ascribed to his life, is writing about Robillon. And he says, it was for him that I ate, for him that I breathed. I was only a means of making him live. And I don't want to get too much into Robillon, although he is a central part of the novel. I don't want to just sit here and recant the entire plot. But I want you to know that it's not like a totally nihilist book. And the ending is kind of cool. And it's not as depressing as you would think it would be. Um, and I'm not sure if there's a movie for this book. Uh, I'm sure there is, actually. It's such a famous book. I'm sure someone at some point in time has made a movie of it. But I think with special effects, uh, it could be done well. And the ending of this book seemed like a scene in a movie. Um, but yeah, it's just a crazy book where you re you're like reading someone's diary and he's slipping into this existentialist crisis and he's going crazy. And there's a lot of really cool passages. And Sartre himself said it. This was his first book. And he said it's one of his favorite works ever. And this book actually won a Nobel Prize. I didn't know this when I read when I started reading it. But it won a Nobel Prize for literature. Uh, well, not really. It was awarded the prize, but Sartre declined. But that goes to show like how important this was when it was written and how much importance it still holds today. Um, it's definitely a philosophically challenging book. And it's a philosophically important book, too. But it, it's not a happy-go-lucky, feel-good story. And if you're looking to challenge or expand your worldview... Nausea is perfect. Um, and there's some awesome passages from a literary sense. And it's very inspiring from a writer's perspective. Um, but it's not a long book. This book is like less than 200 pages. And Sartre doesn't write with lofty prose. I only had to look up a couple of words. It's just an easily accessible book. Um, but it is, you know, deep, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and like I said last episode, I'm looking for interesting books, unique books. And this is definitely that. 
It's an awesome book. And in my opinion, it's much better than The Stranger. If you can, I would read them back to back and compare and contrast. They're both short existentialist books, but this one to me was just way better. Um, people say there's a lot of fluff in this book and that, you know, a lot of writers, every single word matters. I kind of like that in this book. I kind of like some parts will almost lull you to sleep and you almost stop paying attention. And then boom, he comes in like, oh, something bad has happened. Something horrible has happened. It's almost like a little, uh, a little play, a little dance. And I really like that. Um, so that's nausea. Strong recommend. And enough philosophy for now. It's time to booze. And what do I have this week for drink? Box wine. Um, typically, when you think of wine, it's like highfalutin, high dollar, and movies, the rich and the classy people are drinking wine. You don't really see billionaires, you know, cracking open a Bud Light. And on the flip side of the coin, there's no wine in dive bars. Um, but that's only because of the essence we have ascribed to wine. Uh, so when I pour this wine, it simply exists. I'm using my free will and autonomy. I'm abandoning the, pre, the prescribed essence of wine and uh, also as boxed wine as a lower class alternative. I'm abandoning that. So let me pour here. And this is black box. It's a red blend. Uh, but now that it's in my cup, it's simply wine. And I will enjoy it. Or not enjoy it. If I enjoy it, I enjoy it. If I don't, I don't. There are no preconceived notions. And I do love this. I've had this before a lot. And I love it. Uh, so that's nausea. That's black box red blend. I think next week I'm going to do... I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep you hanging. This will be a cliffhanger, cliffhanger ending. Uh, anyways, thanks for listening. A tune for your time. What you said to me What